This is episode 22 of the Spread Aviation Podcast, and we're doing something a little bit different today. Can you tell what it is? Huh? Can you out there in Spread Aviation land? Matt, put your headphones on. What's going on up there? The, the, the bread thing is... Yeah, the track is, bar is, is a little off. I don't know why it's... Oh, it might be like a prefetch. Oh. What's okay. different today, Matt? We're on the couch? We're on the couch! We're yeah. back to the roots. We are of the Plain Talk podcast. This is where we recorded episode one, right? This is where we were for episode one. Yeah, yeah. Little little different microphone. Weird, yeah. So. And I feel like the carpet was different. The carpet was, <laughs> yeah. So we just got done recording an episode with uh, David Lombardo of Aviation Lowdown. Uh, you may also know him from ATC Memes. That was awesome. That was a great experience. Um, we were really uh, really appreciative of that opportunity. Uh, check it out. A aviationlowdown.com uh, it's available on Spotify I have this echo it's driving me crazy oh that's much better okay thank you I can now hear myself <laughs> <laughs> I had the settings reversed okay oh wait now I check um, now I'm only hearing myself through your microphone well I'll try it again hello oh yeah now I'm good but it's not picking oh wait it is picking me up dude there's no echo yeah. Why can't it be this way all the time? Well, there's echo when you hear me. Yeah. Uh, echo. Is it recording me right now? No. Yeah. No, it's not. Is it? It is. All right. This is perfect. It's like this all the time. I don't need to hear you. This is how it's supposed to be. What? This is great. Save these settings because now I don't. F- I can actually talk and I, my voice is not going through the... Unmute me. Or unmute you. No, I was muted. Oh, this is great. Dude. So we just got back from Sun Fun. We did. Son of Fun was awesome. Matt, how did you like your day and a half or total full day broken down between two half days? No, it was really good. It was just awesome experience to, um, well, if you really want to hear how I felt, there's a video on spreadaviation.com. If you go to our blog and podcast page, you can see it. It's Matt's first air show. Check it out. I don't even think I read it. Oh, wait. (laughs) It's a video. Yeah, I, I, I edited the video. You edited the video. You probably didn't actually watch it, though. No, I was I was looking for uh, just quality shots. Yeah. That's terrible. <sighs> we have to start this whole thing over. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Any just, good. Just delete it. Nope, I'm not going to. Okay. Look, the gap is getting bigger. That's what... <laughs> hey, be nice. All right. Why what is, is going on? I don't know. I've, it's never done that before. It's like it's recording. See, it's catching us live, and then it's, like, finalizing it or something. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. Unless your, is your processor slower? This is definitely... Well, no, this processor, this is a an i7-3770K. It's not overclocked right now, but it should be running about 4.3 gigahertz. Whereas my new one... You're putting our listeners to sleep, Rob. They're, <laughs> well, you, you they're drifting... You chainsaw. They're drifting into a... This is the ASMR portion of the Spread Aviation <laughs> Podcast. Do you know how hard it is to not say Plain Talk Podcast? I know. It's tough, that's isn't tough it? That is, that's yeah. such a bear. 
Yep. <sighs> what was our email? It was, oh, podcast at plaintalkpodcast.com. Yeah, that still works. Does it? It does. It forwards oh. to hello. All right, so anyway, welcome to episode 22 of the Spread Aviation Podcast. We've got a couple things to cover today. We've got sun and fun to cover. We've got an interview with a wonderful woman that we met at the Sun and Fun Air Show, um, and we're excited to, to talk about that here in about 15, 20 minutes. And then we've got some questions from our listeners since our last episode, which we'll cover as we always do. That special guest of ours flies very strange airplanes. Yes, she does. She flies airplanes that don't have motors. Yeah. I don't get it. So so you got to pay twice the twice the rate because you got to pay for the plane to get you up. Well, that's not actually how it worked out, but we'll, <laughs> we'll go into that in the episode. Yeah. Um, that's actually true. They, they charge by the altitude. But anyway. Um, yeah, so I can't believe you remember. Yeah, so Sun and Fun was awesome. Um, it was just, it's just like, it's such a unique feeling to be there and kind of like, you, you can look at the videos, you can look at pictures, but nothing can replicate the sights and sounds and the feeling, uh, sensory overload, you know, of being, actually being at an air show. And honestly, uh, I Ubered, if you remember, I Ubered to a, a gas station to meet you on the second day, or on the first day, rather, and... I, I literally got out of the car and heard an, heard an engine and looked up and I saw this plane just flying upside down and then started diving towards the ground. I was like, that's cool. The Uber driver was like, what? I'm like, oh, there's a plane over there. He's like, cool. He's like, yeah, I dropped you off from an airport. But it was just, it was exhilarating to me. And I, So my first air show experience was watching uh, part of the Sun and Fun air show from a gas station parking lot. Which the gas station was located at Center Show. Yeah. At Show Center. So you were actually in a really good spot on the other side of the of the street. Um, and there was even people that were sitting in their cars lined up on the other right. side. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good view. It was a good view. Um, so, yeah, we got to meet a lot of interesting people. Uh, got to see Michael Gullion fly, which that was my first time seeing that, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, got to meet a lot of uh, of cool people involved with his uh, his travels which was awesome and we met yeah. some cool people who also i mean they're not necessarily instagram stars but we met uh pull g's and a whole bunch of other people we ended up at a party at, we did with the coconut club with an outdoor bar in the basically in the airport and we saw the 747 engine drive by yeah that was cool. the jet mobile the jet mobile that was neat it's just cool and you know as we talk about on, on david labardo's podcast it's it's kind of like just just you know air shows are just full of people people that are so passionate about aviation and you just get to hang out with them for a few days straight it's awesome it's like yeah, yeah. it's Sounds, like it's yeah. blast charlie the flying cabular oh yep yep yep, yep. he's a little he's a little, he little, little puppy. puppy puppy just a yep. little puppy little cavalier uh <laughs> andrew finley and uh his airplane one and uh, his race team one moment racing uh, sport class winner, and uh, well, he's looking to be going back to Reno this year and going out and kicking some butt uh, out there. It's going to be really cool. We'll, uh, we're going to set up an interview with him um, at a little bit later of a date, so something to look forward to for future episodes. Yep. But, uh, yeah. And are, are you ready for your, uh, the next air show, Matt? I am. Oshkosh. I'm, I may disappoint you in that there are, um, I don't think there are any air shows in New England scheduled this year. It's a very mm. rare kind of thing. Would have been nice to go to one. Yeah. I mean, it's Not nice. In, are there ever any in Maine or anything like that? Uh, every once in a while. I think the one in Quonset happens every two years. There's one that usually happens at, uh, I think, Barnes. 
or Westfield uh, or Westover. I can't remember. Uh, too many of them have the, the same name over there. But somewhere in, in southwestern Massachusetts at the, the air base, uh, there's usually one there as well. So it's, it's very strange to not have one in the area. But you can usually uh, get on, I think it's New England Air Show Buzzers on uh, Facebook, and you can find uh, information about air shows that are going on there. It's mainly for photographers. And they talk about uh, they talk about all kinds of issues that are a little specific to photographers, but it's uh, it's always fun to to get that glimpse at what's going on at the air shows. Cool. All right. So without any further ado, we're going to take just a couple seconds, and we're going to send you over to our interview with Miss Laura. Didn't I say that was going to be like fifteen minutes from now? <laughs> Do we have anything to do in between now and then? Airplane noises? No, that's that's another episode. Okay. That's another one. Okay. Sometime in the future, we're going to talk about airplane noises. Okay. <laughs> Matt and I have a very special guest with us today. This is Laura Radigan. Laura, say hi to everybody at Spread Aviation. Hello, hello, and good evening, and I hope everyone is having a wonderful day. <laughs> Hi, Laura. Hi. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Rob. Go ahead. So, so, Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I got into general aviation approximately six years ago. Uh, it actually started sitting at home all by myself, feeling sorry for myself, when I got a notification of a Groupon availability for a glider ride. And I thought, well, that would be really, really fun. So I went ahead and I bought the, the coupon and I went out to my local glider port and took a discovery flight, fell in love with aviation, and have been just going gangbusters ever since. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Uh, that's a pretty common thing out here uh, for Groupon, and there were a couple other programs, Travel Zoo, that people were buying flights on, and we did a, a decent amount of that out of, out of Boston, but I didn't know that they were doing it for gliders. That's pretty cool. Where was the uh, Where was the airport? Uh, there's a glider operation. It's a commercial operation right in central Florida, about 12 miles west of Disney. It's called Seminole Lake Glider Port. And they've been doing a Groupon thing for a number of years now. Wow. Um, so we met at Sun and Fun, and you were out there volunteering and enjoying the show. What, uh, what capacity were you working in out there? Well, and I actually work in a number of capacities. Uh, my my unofficial title is the glider air boss. I basically, because I'm a glider pilot and because I'm familiar with all of the vendors that have soaring gliders on the venue, whenever we have to move a long-winged aircraft around the venue, I kind of know how things work and how you how people don't necessarily understand just how much wing is there a lot of people go zooming around in golf carts and pedestrians get in the way and there's always that possibility that a wing could get damaged or a glider could get damaged and i'm kind of there to that kind of thing from happening my other role is actually as an exhibitor i have um, my per one of my personal aircraft there on display at the uh, aerobatics club booth 
And uh, also, I support, uh, I crew for one of the air show performers, a gentleman by the name of Manfred Radius, longtime performer at Sun Fun, well regarded in the air show community. And he does a sailplane act. So uh, we've been deeply involved in that. Excellent. So when we think about going to fly our airplanes uh one of the main things that comes to mind is is the cost and how much how much is going to cost to rent the airplane for that hour what's the cost of it how much is the rental how much is is the fuel going to cost us for that day how much for a flight instructor so how much uh, how much of that is a concern for you as a glider pilot well as a glider pilot obviously if you don't own the aircraft you're still renting an aircraft and you're actually renting two aircraft because you're renting the glider that you're flying, you're also renting the tow plane and the tow pilot to pull you into the air. So fuel is still a factor, uh, but it is less expensive than general aviation. Oh, wow. Okay. Laura, you mentioned that it's a little bit less expensive. Um, I'd love to understand. So as a as a student myself, I would you know, rent a, a 172 in an hourly rate. I would rent an instructor's time. Um, oftentimes I'm renting the plane wet, so it already has fuel in it, but there are costs there. Um, and then obviously there's, there's ground time with the instructor when we're not in the airplane. Um, if you, you say you're renting both the glider and the, the tow plane, um, is it just more affordable because that tow plane pretty much takes off, goes up to altitude, lets you go and then lands. So the, the, the time on the, on the tack is, is, I'm sorry, the, the Hobbs time is, is, is a lot less than one would expect? That's quite true. Uh, normally, the way glider operations charge for towing is uh, the, they'll go 3,000 foot, costs a certain amount, 4,000 foot costs a certain amount, and 5,000 foot costs a certain amount. And then above that, it's usually so many cents or so many dollars per 100 feet higher. And it goes basically by altitude, not hops, because the aircraft is basically running at full power from the time it takes off until the time it turns you loose. Interesting. And how often after it you know, levels off does it turn you loose, or does it pretty much get up to altitude and, and turn you loose before it even reduces power? Oh, no, 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 no. The glider itself turns loose from the tow plane. The glider pilot makes the decision to pull the tow release. Got it. The tow pilot has the capability in the tow plane to dump the tow cable if there is an emergency, but that's not normally done. Understood. So the, the tow plane is, is basically taking off, getting up to a certain altitude, uh, and then potentially leveling off and then just kind of waiting for you as the glider pilot to, uh, to pull the release. Well, what we normally do is before we hook up to the tow plane, we'll normally brief the tow pilot. And what happens is if we're doing a soaring flight, we'll look at the weather, we'll make a determination of what the conditions are in a certain geographical area, and we'll say, well, okay, John or Jim or whatever, we're going to go ahead and I'd like you to take me upwind. I'd like you to take me uh, to the east where the cumulus clouds seem to be developing, and uh, I'll communicate with you on the radio as we get closer, and if I see any lift, I'll ask you to go over there, and when I'm in good lift, then I will turn loose, and then you can go back to the airport. If we're doing an aerobatic flight, 
like I do frequently, we have a designated area where we do aerobatics away from the airport, and the pilot knows to take me into the maneuver box uh, from the downwind side heading upwind, and about mid-box, I will turn loose, and he'll make his escape maneuver uh, off to my left, and then I'll begin my program. So that's pretty much how it's done. Wow, very good. So speaking of uh, aerobatics, I was able to look at a couple of your performances at Nationals and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, competing in the aerobatic environment. Well, competing is a lot different than just recreational aerobatics or airshow flying, which I also do. Uh, Aerobatics is precision figures. Uh, Everything has to be done um, in the angle, the lines and angles and symmetry are what is graded. So you put together a program and you fly it in a competition and you are judged on how round your loop is, how close to a 45 degree angle or a 90 degree angle your lines are, uh, your verticals have to be truly vertical being up or down. Uh, there's a complete set of criteria that the judges go by and it's very regimented. It's very strict. I tell people when they ask me, what is competition aerobatics like? Imagine everybody can relate to competitive figure skating. You have the compulsories where everybody has to do exactly the same routine and you're judged on your ability to adhere as closely as possible to the criteria of that routine. Well, we have what's called the known program. And at the beginning of the year, the International Aerobatics Club, which is the governing body over competitive aerobatics in the United States, publishes a known program for each category of a pilot, skill category. So you have all year long to practice this program. So perfection is the minimal acceptable standard and anything beyond that anything is is a deduction in competitive aerobatics you have to adhere to exactly the figures that they tell you that are in the program you have to fly those figures according precisely according to the standards the judging standards and you have to fly them in the direction in the box uh, that is called for. So the box is a 1,000 meter uh, square area that starts at 4,500 feet above the ground and ends at 1,500 feet above the ground. All your maneuvering has to be accomplished in that box. You can't start high, you can't finish low, and you can't maneuver outside the box. So it's a very precise sport. Uh, people think of us as daredevils and nothing could be further from the truth. We're very much control freaks. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm a a regional judge myself and an intermediate power competitor for the last couple of years. So it's it's definitely something that when people, you know, talk about it, they they think, oh, well, that's that's stunts. No, 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 it's the furthest thing from it. We are very precisely putting the airplane where we want. That's very true, yes. You get it. Excellent. 
Laura, if, if you don't mind me asking, so um, I happen to be sitting right now uh, about 12 miles west of, of Orlando, so probably similar to where you, you first flew a glider. Uh, and earlier, before we started recording, you talked about where you are. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I live over on Merritt Island, uh, which is uh, right adjacent to the Kennedy Space Center. And I actually work on the Kennedy Space Center as a contractor, and I have for the last 17 years. So... Hopefully in the next few years, I might be able to get a little more free time to indulge my passions. Who knows? And are you able to talk a little bit about what you do uh, at the Kennedy Space Center? Uh, yes, actually. It's, it's, it's nothing special. I work in the Calibration Standards Laboratory, which is the laboratory that calibrates uh, all of the test, measurement, and diagnostic equipment that is used on the Space Center for flight hardware and infrastructure operations and things like that. So uh, on any given day, I might be calibrating electronic equipment or mechanical equipment, or I might actually be out on one of the launch complexes doing on-site work. You never know from one day to the next what you're going to get. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's it awesome. Is. I saw the final uh, shuttle launches from the NASA Causeway, um, 33, 34, and 35, and I was incredibly honored to have the opportunity to be there. It's a cool place to work, but there's always pressure to get things done. Uh, we have, you know, we have this new initiative where we have where the aerospace industry is getting away from being run by the government, and more and more it's being run by contractors. So the contractors are there to do the job, but they're also there to make a profit. So they're very cost conscious. They're very busy. They keep their people very productive, and they expect their work done correctly and very fast. So we're always under the gun to get it done. And that way you kind of need a, a relaxing hobby like flying a glider, right, to help you out? Oh, yeah, relaxing hobby like doing flips and flying upside down in a glider. Yeah, that's exactly how I relax. Ha, 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 ha. Sounds, sounds relaxing to me. I don't know. <laughs> so, well, it is in a way. So, yeah, sure. Laura, can you share Actually, with us? Um, I was just wondering. So one of the things we like to ask when we're interviewing somebody is obviously you have a lot of experience in this area. Um, some of our listeners are people looking to become pilots. Some of them are already pilots looking to get into aerobatics. Um, is there anything from an advice perspective that you can share with our listeners based on what you've learned? This is going to sound terribly cliche, but everyone always says that getting your pilot certificate is nothing more than getting a license to start learning. And I found that to be prolific. Uh, what happened to me, what got me into aerobatics originally was uh, shortly after I got my glider ticket, uh, I suffered an upset incident uh, in a rental glider. I got flipped upside down uh, in a, exiting a thermal. It doesn't happen frequently, but I drew the lucky card that day. Fortunately for me, uh, I had been doing some reading above and beyond my normal training, and I understood a few principles of aerobatics. I had never actually trained in them, I had never really discussed it with my instructor, but I got myself out of the situation and realized right then and there that there was uh, some serious lacking in my training. And upset training 
uh, is an important part, an important component of becoming a well-rounded pilot. So I went out and I got additional training and in unusual attitudes and spin recovery. And I found out in the process of getting that training, not only did I enjoy it tremendously, but I had an aptitude for it. And then I started uh, working towards my first competition. And uh, it just so happened that my first aerobatic competition that I entered was the 2017 U.S. Nationals. Yes, one of those, well, if you're going to go to a contest, why don't you just go to the biggest contest in the United States? Might yeah, let's well. go to the Nationals. <laughs> Might as well, yeah. Yeah, sure. Why? So I went to the Nationals, um, and you know, it was one of those cases of I didn't know what I didn't know. I had been training. Uh, I had received some good training from my instructors. And um, I had a free program that was way, way, way advanced for the category that I was flying in. I was flying in for sportsmen for my first contest. And the judges, uh, you know, when you turn your free program in, uh, the judges took one look at that. They go, are you kidding? Is this for real? You know, and I said, yeah, I could, that, I could fly that. Why? What's what's the problem? And they said, okay, we're going to be watching you. <laughs> and they did. And it turned out that I won the free program. Very good. At my first nationals. Yeah. Um, and I and I made a lot of friends. And uh, I flew a very safe program, a very safe contest, and made a lot of real good friends and good connections in the uh in the competition world. Well, um, then in 2018, I said, okay, this, this whole sportsman thing is for the birds for me. It's just too easy. I had been working very hard. I've been training. I've been going out to Arizona and training with uh, Jason Stevens at Arizona Soaring, which is, he's one of a previous U.S. national aerobatic champion in the glider in the advanced and unlimited. And I said, okay, well, I'm ready. I'm going, I'm going to skip intermediate and I'm going to go straight to advanced. And, and when I put my entry in again, I got the, how shall we put this? The hairy eyeball from people. It's like the word on the street was, what is she doing? She's going straight from sportsman to advanced. Oh my God. <laughs> Everybody was freaking out. But uh, I went up there and uh, I took second place behind Jason in advanced, and that basically quieted down all the naysayers. <laughs> and uh, I also got a uh, a slot on the U.S. team to go to the Worlds this year. So in July, I'm going to be leaving for uh, Diva, Romania, to fly in the World Advanced uh Lighter Aerobatic Championship. Very good. Yeah, uh, it, uh, it's kind of surreal. I'm still pinching myself. <laughs> and then, of course, in September, uh, we're going to be going to Salinas, Kansas, to the U.S. Nationals, where I'm going to fly in the Nationals again. And I've been invited to go to a couple of regional competitions as well. So uh, it's going to be a very, very busy year. 
Uh, I've got my commercial glider rating. I'm working on my instrument rating. Uh, I've got a few things going on. I'm staying kind of busy, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Well, I'm really glad that your first experience with I don't want to say an upset necessarily, but uh, that you were able to deal with effectively that first scenario and that that launched you on this path that has taken you to the worlds in glider aerobatics. I mean, that's that's amazing. And there are there are people out there who have been through upsets and they asked themselves, you know, well, why did that happen? What happened there? What, what don't I know? And they went out and got training and it's... Uh, it's too common, but I'm glad that you were able to get out of your situation, survivor situation, be able to talk to us uh, uh, here today on on the podcast, and, and it's it sparked this whole other journey. Yeah, I, it's you know the the hardest thing the first time you go inverted in an airplane, it's a shocking experience because generally speaking, you're not prepared for it. Your belts aren't tight enough. Uh, all of the uh, debris on the floor of a rental aircraft winds up in your face, up your nose, <laughs> uh, in your hair, and everything else. So, and of course, when you're flying from a grass strip, there's plenty of debris on the floor of the glider. Uh, so, needless to say, the first time you go upside down, it's a shocking, you know, it's, it's an assault on your senses. But... Uh, once you learn how to deal with it, you learn how to prepare for it. Uh, I really enjoy the aerobatics, and uh, it's now it's. I, I kid with people. I say to them, you know, gee, takeoffs and landings are boring. Uh, I want to get up there, and I want and I want to paint the sky, and that's really my passion now is trying to perfect the figures, perfect the lines. Uh, you know, I do a few small performances here and there for private, you know, events. Uh, the first uh, day of the event, the opening ceremonies, I actually flew an aerobatic demonstration for the competitors and their families. And that was a just a really exciting time for me because I got to perform, I got to perform for people, which was, is really what I want to do. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm working my my end goal in all this, after all this competition and everything, you know, most most people that compete in aerobatics are either there to compete because they're very competitive people, or they're using it as a pipeline into the air show industry. Because most of the people that are in the air show industry came through competitive aerobatics. And that's where I'm going, is I'm, I'm working towards getting my 800-foot card, and uh, I'm going to be going to the uh, the uh, convention out in Las Vegas. ICAST. And I'm going to be selling my wares. And the ICAST, yes, I plan to be at ICAST in December. And uh, I want to start flying some air shows. Well, I want to get back to aviation. Well, very yeah. good, Laura. It's uh, it's been great talking with you today. Where can our listeners find you online? Do you have social media? I do. I have social media. I'm on Facebook, of course. I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter a lot. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel, and it's nothing more than YouTube. My name, 
Laura Radigan, where you can find my videos of some of my flying. Uh, I try to keep it up to date, but I'm, it, it takes a lot of time to do videos, so I'm, I'm kind of behind, but I'm trying to get some more videos up on the channel. I think there's about six, five or six videos up there right now, but I'll work on some more of them soon. Very and, uh, good. All right. Well, see, Matt, see, it takes a long time to do videos, so don't be mad at me when I'm a little late on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I'm... No. Well, Laura, thank you very much for your time today, and good luck at Worlds, and I will see you at Nationals this year. I'm going no matter what, so uh, I'll be out there, and I look forward to seeing you in person again. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a good time. <laughs> All right, Matt, any further questions? No. Thank you very much, Laura, for your time today, and uh, good luck in the future. Thank you very much, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. All right, that was excellent. Oh, Thank you, Laura. That was awesome. Right into the microphone, Matt. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> we have t-shirts we have the first run of t-shirts wait you're not gonna edit that out no i'm not <laughs> i'm gonna leave it in and let everybody know that was matt <laughs> matt needs bino <laughs> we do have t-shirts yeah um spreadaviation.com uh coupon code podcast will get you oh it is actually 10 percent. sorry i'm so tired oh my god this is almost worse than episode five this is pretty bad. Episode remember, 5 was our worst. Episode 5 was pretty bad. Yeah. You remember episode 5? Yeah. What was that one? Wasn't that Zozo the Wonder Dog? Not Zozo, Zoe. Yeah. Zoe the Wonder Dog? Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, it was Zoe the Wonder Dog. <laughs> Hi, Zoe. Oh, I miss her. You just left her. I know, but I miss her. It was yesterday. I miss her. And Meowsers was upset. Meowsers was so pissed. She's going to kill me if I'm gone tonight. She's going to sleep on your face. You are going to be gone tonight. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> Too tired to drive. Uh, okay, so let's move on to everybody's favorite segment. And by the way, it's a good idea if you're too tired to drive or fly to not operate heavy equipment. I am not safe right now. Right. Okay. So. All right. So question number one. Everybody's favorite segment, online questions. Yay. And we're getting big enough where we actually get our own online questions. We don't have to steal other people's. <laughs> question number one. What does I'm safe mean? Illness, medication, stress, alcohol, fatigue, and I've heard two different things for the E, emotion or eating. So, yeah, do your thing. And how is it used? Well, it's a checklist. It's a part of the uh, PAVE checklist and determining that the pilot is good to go operate the aircraft. Cool. That was an easy one. Uh, question number two for today um, comes from Juan. He is a... Uh, no last name. Sorry. Just, just Juan. Yeah. Juan. All right, and our that second... way, all the wands out there, they feel like they've been included. All right, and our second question today comes from Juan on Instagram. Juan wants to know, he says, I had a question regarding the scanning of instruments. I have flown only with steam gauges. How does the scan vary when compared to the modern glass cockpits? I only fly VFR, but I would love to hear your opinion, experience on the matter. Thank you. Okay, so scan in, let's talk about a G1000 versus a steam gauge. The scan actually gets pretty simplified in the G1000. You're still looking for the same information, but it's much more tightly 
packed. And so your scan area gets much smaller. So I use a V in the G1000. I start at the top left with the airspeed tape, and then I come down and right to the middle of the, the display, and I look at the heading indicator, which also includes the navigation information, as well as the rate of turn. And then I move up to the right and go to the altitude tape, and included in that is the vertical speed indicator. So those two being co-located really helps out a lot. We just got a subscriber. That's nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, having the altimeter and the vertical speed indicator combined uh, helps out a lot. And the whole time I'm including in that V scan in the the center of my peripheral vision is the actual attitude indicator and making sure that the aircraft is doing what I want it to do. So I feel that the scan in the G1000 is a whole lot simpler and to get the instrument, engine instruments in that, which I do about every fifth, uh, fifth pass through the V, about every fifth cycle, is real simple because you're looking over, just glance over to the right-hand side. The RPM is in a nice big number and all of the engine parameters as far as oil temperature, CHT, EGT, oil pressure, uh, all that stuff is going to be indicating in the green. And as long as there's nothing flashing at you there, then you're in pretty good shape. And uh, that's that's one of the ways that I think the, the scan simp gets simplified with a G1000 because it's a, it's a lot more compact and more precise presentation of the same data with the six pack uh, i'm alternating between a hub and spoke maybe an inverted v uh, depending on what i'm doing uh, and then the engine instruments depending on the type of airplane that i'm flying whether uh, or even the age of the airplane I'm flying, I may have to look in different places in the cockpit. In the R and S model, the engine instruments on the left-hand side in uh, a lot of the, the older airplanes, it's either located all the way over on the right-hand side or some of it's down below the instruments. And so there's some differences there. So you, you have to uh, really know the aircraft that you're, that you're in and what you're, what you're scanning for. Multi-engine airplanes usually have uh, engine instruments located right in the center uh, of the dash splitting the left and right hand side and in the king air or aircraft that are two crews you're going to have dual sets of displays on the left and right hand side that include all the information and then your engine instruments will be uh, in the center as well so that uh, either crew member would have good access to them and be able to see them all right. Well, thank you, Rob. Juan, I hope that answers your question. Uh, if not, let us know at hello at spreadaviation.com or just message us on Instagram again. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram is a good way to get a hold of us, too. All right. So we've got, uh, in honor of sudden fun, we're going to have five rapid fire aerobatics based questions. Rob, I'm going to cap you to 30 seconds to answer each question. Let's do this. All right. Question number one How do aerobatic teams fly in formation? What is their point of reference? Okay, so when you're flying in formation, you want to maintain a very specific position in relationship to the lead aircraft or the aircraft that you're following if you're in more than a, a two-ship uh, two or a three-ship. Geometry. If you think of a triangle, a triangle is, is three corners, and an aerobatic pilot is trying to make the third point by really referencing two points 
on the other aircraft. And as long as you keep those in line, you will form the third point, and that will take care of your uh, your forward and back distance from lead as well as your side-to-side distance from lead to keep you in that same space. And if all the pilots do that off each aircraft, you will be in the same orientation, the same position, the same spacing throughout the rest of the formation. Question number two, I actually really like this one. Is it more important for a pilot and a co-pilot or a left seat or right seater to communicate or for two planes flying in formation to communicate? Uh, wow, that's a very good question. Um, it, uh, wow. I suppose it depends on the type of operation and, and what needs to be communicated. With formation, you do a lot of briefing before the flight happens so that during the flight, communication can be kept to a minimum and you are you are planning something very, very specific. You're eliminating uh, changes. You're eliminating possibilities, probabilities. In the crewed environment, you can adapt and overcome to the dynamic, ever-changing environment that is maybe instrument flying or cross-country flying. But in formation flying, if lead is about to do something, they usually call it out and they call it out with a cadence ready roll uh, or roll ready now they'll they'll do something like that with a tempo so that everybody's together smoke gone now and you'll hear things like that cool question number three which aircraft are considered the best for aerobatic flying Ooh, this could start a war actually uh depending on what i say <laughs> good luck we're all counting on you <laughs> Uh, best for aerobatic flying. The best aircraft to learn in is the Super Decathlon. And the best airplane uh, after that is whatever you can afford to own and operate, really, uh, at the level that you want to be. And so there, there's a lot of different options for that, whether you want to go for the the classic uh, biplane or if you want to go with a more modern monoplane. Um and everything in between. So the best is very situational, and some of it just comes down to what you like more. All right. Question number four. What is the stick that I sometimes see on a wing on an aerobatic plane? So I'm assuming that you're referring to the aerobatic sighting device, and this is an object that allows the pilot to determine whether they are vertical up, vertical down, 45 degrees nose up, 45 degrees nose down, and also 45 degrees up or down inverted. So we just use it to compare to the true horizon what the attitude of the airplane is. Why couldn't you just use the wing? Uh, The wing, uh, depending on the aircraft and how it's set up, in the pilot seat, you may not be in a good position to reference the wing. In the front seat of the extra 300, I have a great view of the wing. In the back seat of the extra 300, though, I'm completely aft of the wing. I have no wing to to refer to. And um, I could use the wing as a, as a reference, but it is not as precise. 43 looks a lot like 47. But with an aerobatic sighting device with its angles set right at the 45, 45 does not look like 47 and vice versa. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. And question number five, I'm going to give you twice the amount of time because I think it's twice as important. And also, you've been over 30 seconds on every answer anyway, but that's fine. I'm going to edit them all down. (laughs) Um, Aerobatics aside, that's the only reason this fits the category. Aerobatics aside, what are some flying tasks that require the greatest demonstration of pilot skill? 
crop dusting. You are you are low. You have to be precise. And I was thinking steep turns, but okay. Oh well. All right, keep going. No, yeah, I mean, and, and you have to. You are doing steep, 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 steep turns um, down close to the ground with very little room for error. I mean, there's a maneuver called an ag turn. It's I don't know, kind of like a wing over, a little bit like a hammerhead, um, but not nearly as as slow. And it's to get the aircraft turned around as quickly as possible in as little radius as possible to just move over basically uh, one spray pattern and not waste any time as you need to get that field done and and uh, get back to the uh, get back, get refilled with spray and then and then move on. So I would say that, that crop dusting actually takes a, a humongous amount of skill to perform. Uh if we're talking about a maneuver, then I'm going to go with either the Shondell or the Lazy 8 in the commercial maneuver world. Those take a, a good amount of skill uh, to perform well. And there is a there is a big difference um, between someone who's who's doing a, um, a Lazy 8 or a Shondell to to the FAA standard versus someone who's really doing it well and really understands what's going on uh, behind it. There's, there's a big difference there. Cool. All right. Well, this has been episode 22 of the Spread Aviation podcast. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram, Spread Aviation, Facebook, Spread Aviation, YouTube, YouTube. Spread Aviation. What's our website? Spreadaviation.com. Where can you find us? And most important. Reddit. Re- we don't, eh. Yeah, we're not really yeah. there. We're not really there. We've got T-shirts available now, spreadaviation.com. Click, click the swag button. That's really important. And you can use coupon code podcast. This is only valid for the next 30 days. You can use coupon code podcast for 10% off and free shipping on your Spread Aviation T-shirt. So check that out, spreadaviation.com. Click the swag button. And you may even get a nice sticker in the mail as well. Oh, man, the stickers are going to be a surprise. Oh, well, well you know, you heard it here first on uh, episode 22. All right. SpreadAviation.com. Buy a t-shirt. Thanks. Take care. See ya.